A subject that has come up a lot lately on Jazz Inspired is an attitude musicians call old school. A work ethic and a way of comporting ourselves that was passed on to those of us fortunate enough to know the older musicians who invented jazz. With this in mind, today we revisit my conversation with pianist conductor Joey Singer, who has worked with many of the greats from an earlier era. Cap Calloway, Johnny Mathis, Shirley Bassey, Rosemary Clooney, and countless others. The following conversation was recorded in 2011 when Joey Singer was music director for Debbie Reynolds and appearing with her at the Cafe Carlisle in New York City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. As a music director, one of the large responsibilities outside of the musical responsibilities is to try to bring out the best in that performer. A lot of it has to do with uh, just psychologically getting inside their head and realizing what they need as an artist to go out and give their best performance. So that's what I try to do is to uh, oftentimes relax them and put them in a, in, a, in a state where they'll be able to do their very best. Do you think they're conscious of that? Because I was thinking about that because I got to hear you with Debbie Reynolds the other night. And it's such a great relationship on stage. And I was thinking the great energy you put out because you're smiling. And I know for myself, I like happy-looking musicians. And thats it's a funny thing to say, and it's not from a showbiz angle. I don't need people giving me a huge grin, but I like to look up and see my sidemen with an engaged, pleasant look on their face. And I was thinking, I wonder when Debbie hired you or having you all these years, if she's constantly or if she's consciously thinking about what you do for her psychologically as that's well. That's a good question. You know, you'd have asked Debbie that question. Yeah, but that's I do interesting. think I do think it's very important to bring that energy. That's the most important thing. To bring the smile, to bring it like I say, not a tooth, not a just a bearing all your teeth grin type over the top thing, but definitely to bring a, 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 a feeling that you love what you do. That's the most important thing. The audience feeds off of that. Mm. The performer definitely feeds off of that. And if you don't bring that, it's not going to serve anyone. And we are lucky, Judy, that we really do uh, love what we do. We're in a profession where, unlike so many people in, in this country who don't get to go to work every day and do what they absolutely would do for free, what they, uh, what they are just so blessed. You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. So I try to bring that energy every single night. And, and uh, you're, you're basically – I've heard the material. You know, a lot of it I've heard for many years. Yeah, but, I noticed you weren't looking at music. Or were you? No, I never I saw you looking no, at I music. Wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't. But uh, – that's just from having done it a long time. Mm-hmm. But it's but. also, it was fun to watch you negotiate the direction she would take because she's a real old-time entertainer, very improvisational, I very, thought. Very, And that's one of the things I really love about working with Debbie. I mean, as you know, a lot of performers, it's, the, it's a cookie-cutter kind of a situation. Where and it's, it's deadly. Thing. Well, it, hopefully it doesn't come across deadly. I've worked with performers. I mean, it's deadly Debbie. for people who do it. Because you're a jazz musician. You consider yourself a jazz musician. So I would assume you like the performers that are a little more improvisational. I do. And I enjoy working with Debbie for that reason. And Debbie has a very interesting take on her performance. Um, When she goes out there, her feeling has always been that you can't be truly great without taking a chance, without being willing to risk it all and go for it. And it doesn't always work. But it does most of the time. And that's a real jazz mentality. It you know, is a jazz just, just going mentality. Out there. She's, she's not afraid to go left, to go right, to go f- way out there if that's what it takes for that magic to happen. Now, that's interesting. How did she come to that considering this is somebody who came up through the studio system, 
doing movies, mm -hmm. I'm assuming having to follow the script, Absolutely. rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. They made it all look like it was they made spontaneous. It look, exactly. But it was it, well, especially this, those dance numbers. They had to be really rehearsed and Right. Right. So where and, did she get that mentality? That's fascinating. Well, it came actually from um as you say, when the studio system, they taught you how to do everything, how to get in and out of a car, how to greet the public, how to uh, sign your autograph. Uh, everything was done a certain way. And, um, and uh, it's been wonderful that, that she's had that because I've seen her treat the public. After a long day, she could be tired. Traveling, as you know, is tough. Heavy can be tired. I've seen her sign every last autograph with a smile because the, the studio system taught you without your audience, you're nothing. So she has that, which is great. But getting back to the point about where she came up with an improvisational um, attitude on stage, years ago she tells a story about playing a show in Las Vegas back in the 70s. And she had a very big, very expensive show that she was doing. And it was a rave and everyone loved the show. And she was having a conversation with Jack Benny after the concert. And Jack Benny was not moved. And his comment to Debbie was, well, it's a great show and you're great and everything's great. But you know, I, I, don't, I don't know who you are. You've got to let us know who you are. You've got to bear yourself and, and not be afraid to let that wall down. And that changed her entire approach to performing live. And that's when Debbie performs now, uh, it, whether it's in a small room or whether it's in a, a large theater, it always seems to feel like a living room. I've seen her play 3,000 seats. I've seen her play 50,000 seats. Uh, we Occasionally we'll get a football stadium job at some kind of a extravaganza, and she makes it a living room. And this was, this was because she got that great advice from Jack Benny to let that guard down. And oh, that's interesting. It is. Very, I've always thought that was a fascinating story. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked a whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. When the band began to play, the stars were shining bright. Now the milkman's on his way, it's too late to say goodnight. So good morning, good morning, sunbeams will soon smile through. Good morning, good morning to you and you and you and you. Good morning, good morning, we've gabbed the whole night through. Good morning, good morning to you. Nothing could be grander than to be in Louisiana in, in the, the morning. morning. In the morning, it's great to stay up late. Good morning, good morning. Might be just as zippy if we was in Mississippi. When we left the movie show, the future wasn't bright. But came the dawn, the show goes on, and I don't want to say goodnight. Don't say good morning! Good morning! Rainbows are shining. Good morning. Good morning. Bonjour. Bonjour. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Bonjour. Bonjour. Donald O'Connor, Gene Kelly, and Debbie Reynolds on Good Morning from the soundtrack of Singing in the Rain. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is Debbie Reynolds' music director and pianist, Joey Singer. Now, do you think that she appreciates that you have a jazz sensibility. I was thinking that because I've heard lots of people perform who are singers that wouldn't be considered jazz singers, but sometimes they'll have uh, a musical director slash pianist who 
is a real Broadway-ish mm-hmm. player, and mm-hmm. I can tell doesn't have any jazz background, mm-hmm. or people that have more of a jazz thing going on like you do. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering from her standpoint, because people wouldn't look at her as a jazz singer, even though she grew up. When she was growing up, that was a jazz time. People didn't right. talk about it that right. way. It was just the popular music. But I'm curious if if she's been able to draw on that because of your sensibility. I think so. And Debbie loves jazz. And her heroes were Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan and all the greats. So um, I think that she does appreciate the fact that if someone calls something from the audience or whatever, that she feels I've got her back. You know, mm. She can go any direction and I'll hopefully be right there with her. You know, I love it's that. A comfort zone. I really love that listening to you and admire it because – your ability to follow and do it so subtly because I told you at the time that I was I was wondering, does Debbie have perfect pitch because she kept just jumping in on tunes and I'm a pianist and I accompany, you know, my musicians and things. I never heard you giving her notes. That oh, was so you. smooth. Oh, I don't know. I try if, to keep it smooth. I mean, oh, I it was very smooth. <laughs> it was magical because I really thought Wow. And I actually turned to the person I was with and said, I guess she's got perfect pitch. And it was it was I, I great. I try to sneak her once in a while. You, you do. Know. I try it's to do it really quietly. You know, it's fantastic. Thanks, and uh, I think it's got to be hard, too, that you never know the musicians you're going to play with. Because when, I've heard, when I heard you recently, it's here in New York, and you didn't have your regular guys. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? You do the best you can all the time in whatever situation. You know, you just put your best face on and open your heart, open your ears, and be wide open. And just try to, be, uh, try to bring that good, that good attitude. I think attitude is everything, really. And you don't carry your musicians with we you. We carry a drummer. Deb- always the drummer and always you, but yes. you don't carry a bass no, player. No, no. And, and Debbie's drummer, Jerry Gennario, is a wonderful drummer. I've been with her for 40 years, and he's absolutely sensational. So that makes it really great. We have a great partnership, Jerry Mm. and I. We're great friends off the stand and on the stand. And that's important, too, when you're on a steady job. It's Traveling together? Traveling together and playing together. That's what I say. You either get really close to a person or you never (laughs) want to see them again. People always say that. I don't know if I've ever said it on the show before, but I've certainly said it to my friends that people say, uh, well, we're thinking of getting married. We're going to live together for a while. And I say, no, 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 no. <laughs> Travel go, go together. <laughs> That'll tell you right you there. Can, you, isn't that true? You yeah. either become really, really close mm-hmm. or you truly never want to see the person right. again. Right. And then on top of it, we're playing with these people. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. it's hard. Well, talk about accompanying and and just getting into that. Did you want to? Did you, when you were... Learning music and coming up, did you think you wanted to play? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's so you don't like a company. I, I love a company. Ah, uh, that's I, a very I different thing. I truly love it. It's, it's probably my favorite thing to do. Oh, talk about that and what well, you love about it. I love accompanying uh, singers especially, you know, mm. and, and, and uh, I suppose accompanying a horn player, it's all the same really, you know. Music is music. But I've, a lot of pianists don't enjoy accompanying for singers. Oh, no, I know. I, I, know. I love it. You know, good singers, of course. No one likes to, you know. <laughs> oh, you don't like bad singers? <laughs> oh, I love What's wrong with singers. you, Joey? <laughs> I love people with bad intonation. <laughs> Bring them on. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> what key are they in? You know? <laughs> Only they know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So you knew that early on. I did. That you for, wanted to do right it. Right from the start. Did you so, do well, it? My mother s- was a singer. Uh, my mother was a great singer. One of the most natural musicians I've ever known in my life. She passed away, sadly, in 1993, but she was truly great. And what kind of style? She was um, 
uh, much like out of the big band singers era of the 40s, you know. So she, she helped you appreciate that kind of music. And it wasn't talked about. We never talked about music in my house, but it was always there from the time I was small. My, my, my grandfather on my mother's side was a wonderful pianist and conductor. And um, from the time I was a kid, we had, we had shows going in the house, Broadway shows, and, and, and the, the music of the great singers. So I just fell into it. I just really loved it. That's great, but you got to hear all that. And all I got the to time. accompany my mother and watch my grandfather accompany my mother. And that, ah. those, were, those were the first big lessons I had in music. And was that mainly just listening to it, or did they talk about it and say, it, these are nice things to do, or yes, that's good? It was do you remember? All from listening. That's I remember sitting with my grandfather at the piano bench from the time I was three, four years old. Mm. But I didn't have to. Uh, I didn't have to talk about it with mm-hmm. him, you know. And it's a funny thing. I remember this story from uh, my grandfather passed away in 1969. But in the late 80s, or might have been around 87 or so, when camcorders were starting to come into prominence, I did a concert with Debbie up in uh, up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and someone had filmed this concert. I'd never seen myself play before. Mm. And I had no real conscious recollections of watching my grandfather. But someone showed me this film, and my hands on the piano were my grandfather's hands. Every last motion. I could not believe it. It was a total revelation to see that we genetically were passed down whatever gifts we're lucky enough to get from our, our, our parents and our grandparents. And uh, I definitely got whatever my grandfather had, I got it. And I could see it on that film. It was really a, quite a moment for me. My guest, pianist Joey Singer on Honeysuckle Rose. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I like you talking about getting to do what you love to do and talking about I can see just your whole posture sits up and when you're thinking about those times and your mom singing and your grandfather and that you didn't talk about it because I know in my family we never talked about the arts 
or in music. It wasn't mm -hmm. in sort of this lofty way. We just sang around the piano. Mm -hmm. And there would be a Friday night party and people would come and some people could sing well, some people couldn't. And But they all boarded it out. That was the great part. The people that couldn't sing sang just as loudly as the ones who could and no mm -hmm. one cared. There was mm -hmm. no judgment. Well, that's the beauty of music. I and, and I think it's it's wonderful for our listeners to hear that too because it's nice to just think about the joy of it, that this is something fun, that it doesn't have to lead to a profession, no. it doesn't, which is what everybody talks about right. now. It's all American Idol. It's kind of nice to just hear that you grew up just hearing it, hearing great music. Well, it's supposed to be enjoyed. That's the thing people seem to miss out on. And Kenny, Werner's, Kenny Werner, the wonderful pianist, wrote the book Effortless Mastery. I think he speaks about this. I haven't read the book in many years. I need to go back and reread. But I remember Kenny Werner talking about this, that uh, we tend to think it's just so lofty and important. And the reality is it's a wonderful gift, and it's here to be enjoyed. And it takes a lot of the stress away of how do I sound? Am I going to impress someone? You don't want to be thinking about that stuff. Just play. Just, just play. That's what it's all about. When did you first think about jazz consciously that this is different because you were hearing a lot of Broadway and show tunes and things like that? When did you think, oh, that's jazz, I love it? Well, like most uh, teenagers that got into it, a lot of drummers fell into drumming because they were blown away with Buddy Rich and the infectious uh, time feel that he had. Um, a lot of piano players got into Oscar Peterson for that reason, and he was my first major influence uh, in my early teens and pretty much turned my world around. that Oscar was my first influence because if I'd been listening to um, other types of jazz, I tried to be open to everything, but mm. I was most influenced by Oscar with that really infectious time field that he had that was popping and happy. And it enabled me actually to work because I, I noticed that when I started playing, not that I'm Oscar Peterson by any stretch, but I noticed that when I would play a solo party, people would get up and dance. Mm. And I had, I had that ability early on to, uh, to uh, move people in a way they felt compelled to dance, which is a great compliment to me. Mm. But if I was playing real outside jazz and uh, what I sometimes call angry jazz, you know, <laughs> some of the music I hear sounds a bit, a bit uh, stressed, uh... you know, that's a little tougher to... Um, to, uh, it's not as marketable. So Oscar had that real finger-snapping thing and uh, happy jazz, if you want to call it. I've heard it referred to as happy jazz. I don't, I don't care what you label it as. That was something that attracted me, and I'm glad it did.
Now, talk about Tommy Flanagan, because we're both big fans of Tommy and Hank Jones, who uh, are very different from Oscar in that, you know, driving locomotion like we think of Oscar. Right. Uh, But they've got – talk about that. When I I think of Tommy Flanagan, if we were trying to come up with an adjective, what do you Mm. say? I mean, just just absolutely beautiful. Just beauty. Beauty to the max with both of those players, Hank Jones and Tommy Flanagan. There's something about their sound. Of course, their harmonic sophistication. There's the endless flow of ideas. It's, it's just startling to me. Mm. And uh, Hank Jones actually influenced my life when I was living in New York. I lived in New York in the early 80s. And he was conducting at the time uh, Ain't Misbehaving, the Fats Waller musical. And he had a job after the show each night at a place called the Cafe Ziegfeld. And a lot of the people in the theater district didn't really know of this place, so they would go for a drink, but they weren't aware that, the, that one of the greatest pianists on earth was playing a solo piano job. So it didn't get the crowds that you might get down at the Knickerbocker or Bradley's at that time. But I discovered Hank was playing there, so I became a regular customer. And oftentimes I'd go in late at night, there'd be no one there. I'd be the only one to listen to Hank Jones, uh, a couple of other guests, no one really paying that much attention. And it changed my life. Because I was just absolutely blown away by the spectacular beauty of this guy's playing of his, mm. of his soul. And he said something to me one night that, that, that I never forgot. Um, as, as musicians, we all go through questioning ourselves from time to time. Hank was playing so beautifully as he does every time he sits down at the piano. So I was just – I can't tell you how moved each night. So he gets up one night after a particularly gorgeous set. And I went over and I paid him a compliment, and he shook his head. And this is going back almost 30 years ago. He shook his head and he just said, maybe one day I'll learn to play this thing. thing. And I just thought, my goodness, the humility, you know, and that sense of always wanting to grow. And it's just, I never forgot that. I mean, I'm sure Hank knows how wonderful he is, and we all know. But that, that, that spirit of always wanting to learn, always wanting to get better, and realizing this is something that you chase your whole life.
Hank Jones on Fats Waller's Ain't Misbehavin'. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from Jazz Times Magazine on the web at jazztimes.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at StrideQueen. To find out more about my CDs and where I'm touring, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. A favorite recording of my guest, pianist Joey Singer, is Our Delights, a duet album of Tommy Flanagan and Hank Jones. Tommy Flanagan and Hank Jones together. One of the great recordings of all time. And their choice of material and their, the, the incredible connection they have. It just, it really changed, for the risk of overstating, it really changed my life, that recording. They have a similar sound, I and mean, they're, they're different, but it's certainly so compatible. And their approach to bebop playing is, is you know, they're, they're brothers in spirit. Well, that's what's so lovely, is that you get to hear two people, well, it's like you and me, because we were talking about the fact that we like all the same people, but we mm-hmm. play very differently. Yep. Now, in their case, they play more similarly, but they're still very distinctive. 
But they come out of the same school. They love all the same things. And then to hear these, as you say, musical brothers. Did you ever hear the story about how when Tommy Flanagan began playing with Ella Fitzgerald, he got the job accompanying for Ella? No, talk about that. Because there's one of the great accompanists of all time, too. Which a lot of people don't even know that, that that's how Tommy, that he spent years with Ella. So talk about that. Well, I don't know that much about it, but I do remember reading an article years back that for the first year or so, Ella wasn't happy with his playing. (laughs) No! And he had to kind of go back to school and study uh, uh, Jimmy Jones and really kind of go to town for. What did she not like about it? I, you know, I don't recall. I'd like to I, know I, what's I, not I'd to like, to like about that. Tommy. That's interesting. But he was a young man at the time, you know. And of course, there's a, the legend, legendary story about Tommy being on the Giant Steps recording, and uh, and with, with John Coltrane and, and feeling like he kind of stepped on it just a little bit. Oh you know? well, but, see, uh, it's good to know that even Tommy Flanagan had his moments. But at of, that time, uh, who could play Giant Steps except John Coltrane? I mean, it was kind of it was a whole different thing. <laughs> oh, but, that's it, great. That's great. In an entirely different direction, you brought me something of Bob Kindred yes. and Joe Mano. Talk about this. Well, Bob Kindred is an excellent that, – that goes without saying, but to, to New Yorkers that know him, but uh, a tenor player that I met when I was playing a big band job at a place called the Red Blazer 2 up on 89th Street and 3rd Avenue. It's not here anymore, I don't think. You're bringing back all these memories. Uh, I don't. I don't. Oh, I do. It's one of the first places I went and sat in when I came really? to New York. Yeah. Wow. Well, Bob was was the tenor player, one of the tenor players in that band. We became friendly, have stayed friendly over the years. And back in 2001, he came to Las Vegas to do a Fourth of July concert. And I knew that he needed to meet this incredible guitarist arranger named Joe Lano, who lives in Las Vegas. And Joe is one of the true unsung geniuses in the world of, of jazz guitar. And um, so they're both, Bob and Joe are both close to the same age. They're both from Philadelphia. They had never met before. And I invited them to the house. They literally said hello to each other, shook hands, and talked for about five minutes. How are you? How's the weather? Blah, blah, blah. And then I turned the recorder on. I've got a little home studio. And, uh, and they just began playing. They played for about an hour or so, and it was absolute magic. And that's what jazz is supposed to be. It was a conversation between the two of them. They'd never met, but it was a lifetime of experience coming from both of them, and it just connected. And uh, I felt so thrilled to be a part of it. And I mean, I've been recording a lot of music in my living room over the years, and this was among the best I've ever been done in my house was Joe Lano and Bob Kindred. So uh, that was pretty special. putting a group together for yourself to do, if I'm hiring you right now to do a jazz concert here in New York, mm-hmm. and, and there's no budget, who would you bring? Whom would you bring? want to have my proper English Boy, here that, on radio. That's, 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 a, that's a real tough one because uh, there are so many great players, you know. Well, not even specifically the people, but what are the instruments that you want? If you could put your ideal band together, would it be a small, would it be a small group, a trio? It would be small. Or would it be piano-based drums? What would it do? I love trio playing, but I love quartet playing too. I and love so to have that other it? voice. Uh, probably probably um, piano-based drums and saxophone is a great combination. I've always loved that. Mm. Uh, it's, it's basic and you can... You know, have that other voice to talk to, and uh, you know, it's uh, that's probably what I would use. Mm-hmm. 
given a choice. Yeah, yeah. Who are your favorite quartets? That instrumentation, can you think of anything offhand of recordings that you really like that have been that? I can think of so many. <laughs> you know, you know, That's good. Uh, it's not bad, I suppose. I used to love the in, in the Brubeck group of the 50s, I loved Paul Desmond's playing in that particular group. It just swung so hard and his sound was so beautiful. Why was and he so different in that group? Why do you think? Because he really did play well, differently. He, he in that did. Group. He did. And he played off of Dave Brubeck's time field. A lot of people said that Dave Brubeck was not a straight ahead swinger, really. It, it, he had an odd sense of, of swing. It's different. But it was so clearly Dave Brubeck. You know, and that's one of the things that you admire in an artist is that ability to say you can hear one note and you know who it is. It's very, very hard to do that, you know. And whether you're a, a player or a songwriter, I admire the great songwriters where you can hear a phrase and you say, oh, that's Johnny Mandel. No, oh, That's Henry yeah. Mancini, you know. Yeah. That's Paul McCartney or whatever, whoever it may be. That's right. Fats Waller. It doesn't matter who you're talking about, but all the greats seem to have that, you know. Mm. Now, you're working on a CD. I'm so excited because I get to be the first to talk about it oh. on the air. Oh. So you're bringing all of this together, years of accompanying and putting your focus in shows and other kinds of things. It must be difficult in a way to finally have your moment that you say, I'm going to do my thing. How do you sort it all out? I would think that you'd go crazy with all the ideas you have and think, how am I going to distill this down to do what I want to do? Well, I think the, the key to it really is to just turn your brain off. I do best when I shut my brain down and just play mm. and just have fun and try to focus on that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you just go in and, and, and uh, I'm not going to give it too much thought. I think I do best when I just walk in, turn the mics on and have a good time. Oh, that's great. You know, because when you try to... Um, when you've got the end result in your mind and you're going, then the, the little voice is talking to you while you're playing. You're judging yourself almost while you're playing. And that, that doesn't work for me. I need to just turn it off and, and let a, a lifetime of musical experience just flow through. That's so wonderful. That's a metaphor for life. And I don't mean to get, try to get all heavy. But as you're saying that, I'm, you say just don't think about it. Just go in and do it and don't think about the end result. Right. That's such a beautiful way of, of just... Being in the moment. Being in the moment, uh-huh. yeah. And I find that the, probably the best playing that I've done is at a sound check when no one's listening. You know? <laughs> well, that's when always the way. <laughs> that's so frustrating. I hate that. We'll look at each other. That happens all the time. All the time. You look at each other and go, yeah, that was great. But that's the great. state you have to try to get into when, you're, when, when, the, uh, when the heat is on, you know, when you're in the heat of battle in a high-pressure situation. Yeah. You're at a sound check. You're hanging out with your friends and you're playing, and that's where you just have to trust that a lifetime of playing is all going to be there because we've all lived long enough now where yeah. it's all there. I mean, there's nothing, you know, we can always keep learning. There's always more to learn, but in terms of what you have to say at that particular moment, mm-hmm. it's about just letting go and playing and having fun. Thank you.
my guest, Joey Singer, on What'll I Do? I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. What's going to be your through line in terms of what you're going to record? A theme or ballads or just tunes you like to play or what are you thinking? Basically, Judy, I'm just picking songs that I know uh, are going to touch me, you know, whatever the whatever the tempo, whatever the feel, just songs that, that I've always gravitated to throughout my life. And I, I know that uh, I know that the players that I will be using on the CD will be uh, will push me to another level. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a big thing, too, don't you find, playing with oh, the, my the people gosh, that you're playing yes. with, everything. Well, and you and I really relate with that love of uh, swing and of a swing feel yeah. and and beautiful melody and and not necessarily you know going way far out you really like tunes that's what i'm struck by with you you like tunes yes yeah, yeah absolutely and uh i love the fact that keith jarrett an artist getting back to keith uh goes back to the standards and, and bill <sighs> evans played the standards we haven't even mentioned bill evans i mean that's someone who's changed so many lives of pianists that i know we mm. all go back to bill you know and I, I discovered Bill Evans after Oscar Peterson. Me too. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, he, he was really, uh, again, what do you say about a Bill Evans? I mean, those records live at the Vanguard and Sunday afternoon at the Vanguard. Everything he did in his, in his life was spectacular. Well, I am, he, I'm always struck with Bill, too, because most people talk about his beautiful voicings, of course, and the ballads and touch and all those things. But he swung like mad. Oh, like crazy. Right till the end. Thank you. 
I'm fascinated with the variety of people that you've worked with and that you've gotten to work with some of what we think of as old-time greats back Mm -hmm. in the day when I think professionalism was different. You and I are young to be thinking of those people, but Mm -hmm. still, I I was an old movie fan. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was fortunate enough to see Frank Sinatra and Basie film something and I was there at the filming and to watch how they behaved and I was 24 and I thought, I want to act like that because these are giants. I knew they were giants. They were so respectful. They, They took their time. They were serious. And there's plenty of people that are divas. But, and I noticed that too and thought, I don't want to be like that. Right. But you've now been with Debbie so many years. Uh, you work with Cab Calloway. Now, there's another person. How old would Cab be if he were alive now? Well, he'd be, well, well over 100. That's what I'm thinking. So talk about what it was like with Cab. How did he behave? Well, we did a concert at, the t- at uh, Town Hall in New York mm. years ago. And I remember the band we had at that time was made up of a lot of very uh, old players who were had you – know, their best days were sort of in the rearview mirror and, and a lot of young kids that didn't have the seasoning. Uh, in, in short, it wasn't a great band. And we were trying to pull it together. We had a couple days of rehearsal. And then the day of the concert, Cab came in front of us for the first time and Cab took his stance in front of that band and he counted off what? Dude, whatever that energy he had, it just kicked us all. And everybody sat up and suddenly the band was terrific. And this band that was not happening until that point was suddenly spectacular. Mm. And I thought, that's greatness. That's a great band leader. Mm. His, just his positive spirit in front of us willed us to another level. I, th- I never forgot that lesson. And I worked with Harry James for about a year and a half on the road. He was my first boss, really. And uh, that was a great experience, too, because Harry didn't have a lot to say to the players and everyone thought he was kind of standoffish. I thought he was great. And if he liked, his, if he liked your playing, he liked you. Mm. And I had a good relationship with Harry. It's interesting you talking about Cab's great energy because I was thinking about that with Debbie Reynolds the other night, mm-hmm. that, that it takes a lot out of you, even if you're blessed with great energy, which obviously Cab was – Debbie is, people comment to me a lot because I have a lot of energy and it's only as I've gotten older that I realize it's unusual to have this much energy. I just thought everybody else was lazy my whole life, you know, when mm-hmm. I d- didn't have to sleep as much and all that. And it's just, it was self-centered on my part. I now realize I am blessed with a great constitution. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. have a lot of energy. Yep. And I also take care of myself and all of that. But some people just have more energy. But that said, you still have to choose to channel that energy, and it takes a lot out of you. And watching Debbie, I was thinking, boy, this is incredible at this age for her to put out that energy, which means that you have to be engaged, and that's the commitment. It isn't just a blessing, which a lot of people will say, you're so lucky you have that much energy. You still have to choose to walk on stage and especially if you have a band like you did with Cab, that's down, not feeling good, all that. He has to put more into it. And it's that commitment, which is so admirable, that I think many of those old-time oh, for sure. performers the old-time, had. They all had it. All the greats, all the ones that we talk about in the same breath, they all had that in common. That was the link for well, everybody. Even Basie. Basie didn't jump around. He wasn't a person that you thought of like Cab Calloway. But the intensity mm-hmm. of intent... When Basie came out, boy, it the affect was more low-key, but the inner energy was as 
every bit as intense. I mean, can you think of one person that we consider to be a great who didn't have that, who didn't have that inner energy? No. It's just unmistakable. And they always brought it, is my point. Yeah, they always brought because it. Because I know there's nights when I don't want to bring it, you don't want to bring it. And the night I saw you with Debbie, Liza was there. That brought up memories of Debbie hanging out with her mom. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that brought up all kinds of things for her, which meant she had to put even more energy mm-hmm. into it. But I she feel did. so lucky to have worked with these people because I, I think that I've, I've learned – Hopefully, I've learned these lessons over the years, and I try to bring my A-game every night, and I watch Debbie do that. There have been times over the years where Debbie's gone on sick, you know, and a few times she's even fooled me. I didn't find out till after the show that she had food poisoning or, or the flu. I mean, she's that good at this. She's that good at the show must go on mentality. Mm. And I remember one time we were playing in San Francisco. Uh, I was conducting a national tour of the unsinkable Molly Brown back in 1989 and 90, and we were up at the uh, Golden Gate Theater for a month. And one day she called me to her suite, and she said, Joey, uh, I want you to hear me. There's a piano in the suite. Listen to me. Tell me what you think I should do. She was really sick. I mean, her, her, she was green. And um, she sang, and I just said, you know, Debbie, there's a time when you're cheating yourself. You're cheating your audience. They're, I really think, I know the show must go on, but, you know, you really, ought, you really ought to cancel today. So, you know, she listened to me, and she went on, as usual, went on, got a standing ovation for the perfect show. <laughs> I thought that's that's all you have to know about Debbie Reynolds can be told in that one story. She's unbelievable. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Well, what have you learned from or have you? What have you brought back to your music from other Broadway shows that you've done? Because you've done a lot of Broadway shows. You've done a lot of conducting. You've worked with those kind of musicians, some that have a jazz background, some that have an opera background, some that have Broadway, some of have – you know, mm-hmm. who knows, a pop background now mm-hmm. because they're getting these kids that right. come from Different pop music. Now, right? What do you – what have you learned from those experiences? Show playing is a different kind of, a, of, a, of an approach and a lot of jazz players don't, don't care to do it. it. It doesn't attract them and they're just not a cow for playing the same thing night after night and bringing their, as we say, a game each night. And I respect that. I mean different, different strokes for different folks. Um, I've had never had a problem playing the same thing again and again. My feeling is that the audience is hearing it for the first time, and it may sound corny, but it makes it a new experience for me. And I've just finished doing six years of Mamma Mia in Las Vegas. And people say, how can you play Dancing Queen over and over and over? You know, I was never a big ABBA fan, but I feel blessed to be playing with great players. I mean, the band was terrific, and everyone brought that. So um, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's a different thing. Not everyone's cut out for it. Mm. And don't you bring a different emotion to it? You talk about getting something different from the audience. But I know for me, and this is projection on my part, so I don't know if this is true, but I know my sets when I do my concerts are made up of my super improvisational pieces, mm-hmm. which are framed by – even when I play solo, I, I put it together like a jazz band. I'll play the head. I'll improvise for a bunch of choruses, and then I play the a version of the head out. But then I have my fats solo pieces that I still throw in every now and then because people want to hear them. They're the little stride classics. And I have my favorites of those that I like to do. And I change them a bit, but some of them are pretty much the same every yeah. time. Yeah. But for me, I really change them emotionally. I take whatever I'm feeling at the night. So it is different. It is. In, in, in jazz playing, in the style of the music that you play, you definitely uh, can get deeper into that emotional thing. When you're playing a show, I don't think it's quite so much about the emotion. It's a little more workman, workman-like approach. 
However, you still have to call upon all your skills. You still have to listen. You still have to be aware of everything that's going down because unexpected things will be thrown at you, especially if you're conducting the show. You never know what's going to happen. I was conducting Mamma Mia one night in Las Vegas, and for the final scene, the set came out and broke and stopped. <laughs> and I'm literally playing. I'm, with one hand, I'm conducting a vamp. With the other, I'm on the telephone to the stage manager saying, what do we do? Do we stop? And this went on for about three minutes. Uh, oh. You just don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be aware on your toes, sharp, all these things. And it's not, it's not the same thinking is in jazz process, mm. but you still have to give your best as a professional. That's the way I look at the, that side of the business. I like you, know? you saying that, too, because this is our profession. Yeah. And part of that is making it seem fun and be entertaining and all of that. But at the end of the day, there are skills we've developed to deal with these things yeah. that we have to. And in a way, it's even, I would think... It can be even more challenging when you're doing the same thing every night because then the danger is getting complacent. Yeah, falling into that rut. And, and uh, then when and the you, unexpected you, happens, you go, whoops. Yeah, whoops, right, exactly. <laughs> but, but you try to uh, fight that. You, know? you have to fight it sometimes. I mean, you're going to work. You know? and, but then you have to say on the way, in, uh, in your car on the way to work, how lucky I am to be working at a keyboard tonight. Oh, yeah. You know? And, you know, I, I have to say, I, I love your playing. I'm a fan. And I have to say well, here because, you, well, I really am. And it's, it's great to tell a little anecdote like this for our listeners because one of the great things that we have in our business, everyone thinks of the music and how much fun we have with that. But if you like to travel, this is definitely a business for travelers. And you and I met in an <laughs> airport and people would say, how could that happen? But I fairly often run into musicians in airports, and to think that I was sitting having my cappuccino in Istanbul, and you came up and said, aren't you Judy Carmichael? <laughs> no, I think I said, you are Judy Carmichael. Exactly, exactly. There was no doubt in my mind who you were. <laughs> and that is so great to think, I can't think of a lot of businesses where we would see somebody in kind of a crazy place yeah. and say, sit down, let's yeah, share a coffee met. and then hang out. And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Which Three is years fantastic. later. Exactly. Uh -huh. It's fantastic. Joey, thank you for taking the time to do this. It's been great oh, fun. Judy, thank you so much. I've had a great time myself. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with pianist conductor Joey Singer. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolph. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners. Additional support is provided by Steinway & Sons and a grant from Henry & Gilda Block and the Ken Colker Foundation. <laughs>